Sporting dog adventures run. That boy, run. was awesome. Everything you Good need boy. is here. here under the sun. Everything you need is here under the sun. The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Saki Acres Retrievers. Whether you're looking for a black, yellow, or chocolate Labrador Retriever puppy, please check out our website for more information at www.sakiacres.com. You can also email Jeff at sportingdogtv at gmail.com or call 262-215-9683. And remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. It's Jeff Fuller from the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, and I need a little help. Please stop what you're doing and give us a five-star rating. Follow us on the platform you're on. Give us a thumbs up. And above all, share our podcast with your friends and family. Our podcast will grow even more, and we can get more people involved in the sport we love with Dogs in the Field. Hey, welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Fuller, and I'm actually here to talk about gun dog training with one of my clients. Mike, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Mike DeRozier, and uh, happy to be uh, on your show. So Mike actually bought a puppy from me, and then he's like, yeah, I want to have my dog trained. This is going to be so cool. And then, oh, by the way, I have a second dog. We train that one. And we set it up initially to train them both at the same time. But then they had the, I don't want the, to be without a dog at home. So we split it up where we've got the older dog that you had prior to buying a dog from Side Acres Retrievers that we have in for training now. Her name is Alloy. And then we've got your second dog. What is your second dog's name? Uh, Boone. Boone is coming in when Alloy, go, Alloy goes home. And I hope, I hope Boone does half as good as Alloy because she's been quite the dog to get trained. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> so I thought it would be neat to have Mike on the show because Mike can talk from, I guess, a new dog owner and new hunters aspect and in, in what his expectations are, what he's seen. I haven't prefaced this with him or talked to him about it because I wanted to get an actual account of what he has seen in, in training, what he's learned. So Mike, before you dropped your dog off, what did you think gun dog training was all about? Um, so I wasn't too sure in general. Um, obviously, I went on your website, um, kind of saw the general layout of um, the course, um, and I didn't realize, I guess, that the big um, majority being the the holding and holding being the real difficult issue for dogs, um, whether it's bringing the bird back or a bumper or anything. So that was a big eye opener. And when we talk about hold. Most people will think that if the dog runs up and drops something at their feet or close to them, that's good enough. And honestly, with retrievers, we want to make sure that they're holding, coming in at least a hand in a, on a front where they're in front of you, where you can tell them to drop. Or if you're getting the dog trained, they really should come in and sit and then offer you the bird where you can take the bird from them. And the way to look at that is it's a conservation of game thing. It's it's a conservation tool because if you're if you've ever duck hunted and a dog drops a bird in the water, many times that bird will dive down and the dog either can't find it, their bird will actually dive down, go undercover, and they'll drown. Mm -hmm. That's what we don't want to have happen because that's wasteful. So it's, it's a conservation tool and mouth control is just a huge thing. When we hear about people that have hard mouth dogs or dogs that are just too soft to finish a retrieve, it's just that they haven't gone through a conditioned retrieve. Mm -hmm. 
So Mike, when you look at from there, what did you think as far as the progress of your dog? Did you, and this is something that's funny because I, I never ask about, but I always watch customers when they come and mm -hmm. even with obedience customers, they'll come after like two weeks and they're like, my God, my dog sits. It doesn't move. And it's like, yeah, yeah they're supposed to, but mm -hmm. it's all working on control. What did you think as far as your progress? Were there times when you're like, oh my God, I'm nervous. My dog's not making enough progress. She's not going to cut it. Were there times when you're like, she seems like she's doing awesome. I guess walk us through what it was like for you as a client having your dog in for training. Yeah. So I think I've been out there three times now. And uh, each time I, I'm definitely surprised at how well she's doing, um, you know, the, just the steadiness in general, um, seeing her going out and retrieving. And as you mentioned, uh, when we we're out there, just uh, her taking the straight paths, not taking shortcuts. Um, just I love seeing that because obviously that's what I want to see out in the um, wild as well. Because mm -hmm. when I'm hunting, I don't want her out there lollygagging. I want her to come back as soon as, you know, she can uh, to make for a better hunt for us as well. So Alloy is doing great. All mm -hmm. dogs struggle on something. And it's funny because mm -hmm. I, I try to be as open as I can with clients and tell them, this is where your dog's at. This is what we're struggling with. But don't worry because eventually they all end up in the same place after three months. And Mike's dog was just, my goodness, what a pain in the butt to get her just to sit. She would not sit. She would not stay, stay still. And it was a lot of pressure that we had to put on her. But the beauty of it was when you put pressure on her, she did not fall apart. She was kind of like, kind of looked at you like, yeah, okay. If I were bigger, I'd, I'd, I'd bite you. But it was, it, was, it, was, it was great working with her because she has great drive. She powers out to, the, to whatever she's picking up and drives straight back to you. And it was a struggle a little bit trying to get her to do the finishing stuff. But at the same time, I'd rather ha honestly have a dog on that end than a dog that is struggling with drive. Mm. Yeah, I was, to be honest, uh, when, when you said that, you know, she had obedience issues, that wasn't too much of a surprise to us. I know I joked with you about that. She's very strong-willed and, and, uh, thick scald but she's um just seeing that progress was amazing to me and and cool to see for sure now when we talk about dogs mm -hmm. the one thing i always have people say to me when they're bringing a dog for training is i'm like yeah the first couple of weeks we work on obedience and mouth control and probably 60 to 70 percent of people are like oh obedience is done we're good like my dog's fine mm -hmm. do you see the difference in what a pet has for obedience and what a hunting dog needs to have for obedience in the training process? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, this is the first dog in general that I've ever had that we've put that emphasis on trying to be um, more strict with a little bit. And even that, obviously, because, you know, I don't know if it's both me and my wife or what, but it's definitely a different um, strictness than what needs to be out in the field. Any credit and, uh, that we give for positives go to your wife. Just I didn't want yeah. to know. I just <laughs> so it was um it was very cool to see. And yeah, I mean it was totally different for sure than what I expect to see at home uh, originally. And now wanting to obviously keep that kind of re not rigidity, but that um, expectation uh, for the dog. And what I've explained to Mike and what I explain to clients when they're out <laughs> is if you have any issues, 
the dog does something in there in the water, we always fix things on dry land. Mm -hmm. Dogs, if they think they can get away with stuff, they will try. Their job is to frustrate you. Uh, I always tell tell people never brag about your dog until they're gone because they will you're be sure you, you're for sure going to be made to look foolish. They will. I've had dogs from like, oh god, this dog's the greatest dog ever. I got an ace back. Ace was qualified all age, master titled, just this phenomenal dog. Took him out on a youth hunt, threw out a decoy, and the first thing he did was go and get the decoy and bring it back to me. I'm like, oh my god, this dog is like, like what are you doing? It's like pitch black, and the dog's pounding out there to get my decoy and bring it back. <laughs> they, 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 they really, they really excel at making us look poorly in the field mm -hmm. if you brag about them. But it's also great when everything comes together. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mike, what are your expectations now? You've got a week and a half until you pick Aloe up. Actually, about a week. Mm -hmm. What are you planning on doing with her while Boone is in training? Um, so, mostly, I want to obviously make sure that I'm. Uh, keeping what you've already trained in her um, as a strong, strong, solid foundation. And obviously I want to get her more out in the same kind of environments that we'll be hunting in. Mm -hmm. So she'll get to be a little bit more familiarized with um, just either the blind she's sitting in next to us, or, uh, you know, we have a dog blind as well, have her in that and just trying to get comfortable with her. So she kind of understands this is what it's going to be like in the real thing when I'm throwing bumpers. And that way, the only variable will be bird versus bumper kind of a situation. Yeah, it's the old practice how you play type thing mm -hmm. where you want to make sure that you're you're putting dogs in an atmosphere that is the same as what they're going to see in hunting. Mm -hmm. I tell clients when you take your dog home, don't just work with them in the yard throwing bumpers, working on stuff. If you can, take them to a similar area that you hunt. That, that is like where you hunt because the last thing you want to want, want to have happen is opening day comes the light comes on and the dog sees something totally different mm -hmm. it's not uncommon you know what the first couple of birds that are shot the dog may struggle and you may have to help them with it because it's different you can't I can't simulate hunting and training but it is something that if you have them out and work with them prior to the hunt you're going to be in such a better place for success mm-hmm yeah, and, you know, uh, the nice thing, too, is I've got uh, a couple of friends we go with, too, so that'll be nice, as you mentioned before. I'll be able to handle and focus on her versus hunting those first couple of times and just really staying with her and and uh, making sure she's steady and, you know, works hard. So. so what have I told you as far as your dog out on a hunt? What is the, the most important thing that you need to do on the first couple of hunts? Sure. So obviously not um, not bringing necessarily a shotgun with, mm -hmm. um, being a handler first, mm -hmm. um, and making sure obviously we, we emphasize the hold versus uh, here. I know I struggled with that, saying here a lot versus hold. Um, so those are the big uh, takeaways for sure. Then you've so, got your buddy that you that you hunt with that also has mm -hmm. a dog that he bought from us that's coming in for training. Mm -hmm. As far as having both dogs hunt together in the first few hunts, what was my what was my insight for you? Yeah, um, only one dog at a time for less seasoned dogs, so that way they're not learning bad habits, and we can focus on training the one at a time. Control the chaos. Besides, yeah. if, if you and Jones went and mm -hmm. either you took a gun and you both handled your dogs, <laughs> I guess you yeah. probably wouldn't shoot much. Correct. 
Maybe not um, too much different, but. Yeah, well, there you go. Is, is, are, are one of you a stronger shot than the other that you should maybe uh, have one guy handling the dogs at all time? Or how does that we work? Like, we like to argue who's better for sure. <laughs> you know, if you're handling the dog, you never miss. And then you get to give everyone crap about their yeah. shooting. Yeah. That's, That's what I always liked. Point. When I did TV, I was, it was always fun because I, I never missed. I mean, mm-hmm. I pull up and shot. I'd make sure a bird went down in the in the, in the TV show. <laughs> I was I was an awesome shot. But uh, it's that that's half the fun about getting out, being in the field. I mean, you guys are going to enjoy having a dog out there so much more. I know you're a new hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, your wife hunts as well, and she's new to the sport. You guys are going to really enjoy having your your dog out there with you. Absolutely. Now, are you planning on doing upland hunting with your dog? I am. Um, that'll be kind of a new thing for us too, because we haven't done any upland in general. So that'll be a new experience. Very excited for. Yeah. In the state of Wisconsin, uh, we don't have a lot of wild upland game. There's, there's a lot of grouse, but when we look at pheasants, quail, we don't really have many. So there's a lot of, a lot of hunt clubs you can go to where you can put birds out. You can enjoy your day, get a pizza after it's kind of nice, but that's nice too. What I would suggest is if you guys are going to do upland hunting, Find a club where you can either put a few birds out at a time by them or you yourself can put them out and just do like two birds at a time, one bird at a time and keep it controlled for the dog so the dog understands what they're doing. You're going to have the dog where there's two of you, your wife and yourself, have the dog run back and forth as you call her back and forth. Here, good, hunt it up. Here, good, hunt it up. Keep her in range. I always try to put the dog, the the birds on the outside of of the people. So they naturally quarter past the people. If you always put the birds between you, you'll actually get where the dog just kind of like wanders up right between the two people. So that would be something to work on. And then it, especially when there's only one bird, you only have one you can miss then. So it may, it, it makes your hunt longer, right? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I'll have to try too hard at that. <laughs> so I thought this would be a great uh, show topic for everyone. Mike is going to come back after our training tip and he is going to talk to us about a memorable hunt. Again, Mike is fairly new to hunting. It's it's a breath of fresh air to be around people that haven't <laughs> been infected with the with the uh, a lot of his hunting TV shows. So I guess that was my ilk that that some of that caused. But the stereotypes of what hunting's about, and to hear from him about I, I want to hear about his hunt, but I want to talk to him also about how do we get more people involved so that we can recruit more people to the sport we all love. Sounds good. All right, Mike, thanks for being on this part of the show. Stay tuned next for gundog training tips for the gundog program. And I'm actually going to go over some problem solving that you're going to see during the latter halves of your gundog training when we're looking at finishing school. So stay tuned for that and more coming up after this. Welcome to Boucher in Janesville, where customer service is our number one priority. Our customers come back to us because of the experience that we provide for them. We're here to make sure that we find you the right car, one that fits your budget, and do so in a timely manner. When we say we ride with you every mile, it means we care about you and how you are treated. Damos con personal que habla español en los departamentos de servicio y venta. Our certified technicians are here to help you with all your service needs. Visit us today at Boucher.com. At Boucher, we ride with you every mile. Dog kennels can be beautiful. That's the basis on which we built DCT kennels. 
we give you the opportunity to have a beautiful kennel that blends seamlessly with your home decor while providing a safe and comfortable respite for your dog. Visit dctkennels.com to see all of our custom selections and start building your dream custom doggy crate Dunza. Hey, welcome to the training portion of the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast episode. I wanted to talk about different things that you can see and that you can fix or work with with your dogs once we're getting them toward the end of our gun dog training. I know I had one gentleman on YouTube that asked about how you stretch a dog out where the dog does not make progress past a certain point because they're used to you throwing a certain distance. I know that he said that he trains by himself, but what you need to do on this is find someone else that can occasionally throw bumpers for you. And what you do when the dogs, what'll happen is you're constantly throw, hand throwing bumpers. So the dogs get to like 40 yards and it's like they hit, hit a brick wall. You're going to put a white bucket out at about hundred yards and have someone else go, hey, 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 or blowing a duck call, throw that white bumper. So it lands right by the white bucket. You'll see the dog go out, They'll slow down when they get to 40 yards, but they see the white bucket and they go and they pick it up. As you progress with this, you can have it where someone throws it next to a tree or a bush or something the dog can mark that is visual that they can see. And that is how we do what's called stretching the dog out. It also works good if you're doing land, water, land at a distance where you're having the dog go from the land into the water, back up onto land. If you have a longer swim and a longer retrieve, you can put that white bucket out where your bumper is going to fall, whether it's 10 or 20 yards outside of the water. And again, the dog will see that and they'll realize it's there. You'll see them slow down, but then trust themselves as they go to that white bucket. Eventually, what you do is you take the white bucket out because you've taught the dog that they have to drive and go further. But that is a great way for that. Now, another thing that is very common is dogs coming out of the water and spitting the bumper as they shake. Talk to them, hold, good, hold, good, hold. We have worked on our e-collar work with our dog during our conditioned retrieves. So then if the dog does drop it, you nick them with the collar, push the button and let go if it's continuous or just if it's on nick, push the button and command fetch. They will pick it up. They will understand that they're gonna get corrected the next time they do that and that will help get to that point. You want the dog to be successful. So when they're coming out on water retrieves, if this, if this is an issue, have them front finish. Don't make them come around to heel and sit. Have them front finish and tell them, good dog, good dog, you're so good. So that you're encouraging them. So they think, wow, when I hold, when I come out of water, I'm doing awesome. And that will really help you as well. As you can see Tank right there in the video in our DCT kennel, he is wanting to come out and play. I put everyone away because we actually have someone coming over here quickly. But again, you want a good product, DCT Kennels. It's, it, it is a cool product. Uh, the dogs love it. They, uh, Tank has made his his own. He steals all the toys in the house and goes in there. So anyway, back to when we're working on things you can run into. When you have birds that are fresh killed or just shot, you can have dogs where it's different consistency than when it's a bumper. So when they have that bird in their mouth, hold, good, hold. If you get a dog that starts to crunch and starts to do anything with the bird, what you need to do is take a step back and then work with them on your hold drill. Remember back to where we were walking at heel and telling them hold with a bumper, do the same thing with a bird. 
have them on a leash, then you have complete control over the situation. Tell them hold, tell them good dog. Keep telling them this over and over so that they're in a position so that they succeed. Um, lastly, do your whistle training. We don't wanna be the person that's yelling in the marsh. Beep, beep, beep is here. Work with them on that. Work with your one whistle, which is beep and a sit command. You can start to use that in the upland and that is the precursor of something that you're gonna use when you're going to, if you move on in your training, going to teach your handling drills and try to stop a dog in a blind retrieve. So keep your standards up, make sure the dogs are finishing retrieves, not just in training, but also make sure that they're doing that during hunting. The number one thing we can do is allow dogs to get away with things during hunting because we're in a hurry. Our buddies are yelling at us, telling us, hurry up, have your standards. If you accept a dog dropping the bird four feet from you, that's where that bird will always be. Keep your standards up, fix problems outside of hunting. If a dog starts to have issues, just don't take them hunting, work with stuff so that you can get them fixed so that they are under control. The more that we let stuff perpetuate, the longer the dogs are gonna struggle and you get bad habits. I have had dogs that went home, fully force-fetched and ready for gun dog training, and then come back the next year where they would not pick a bird up. And that was because they went through a whole season of basically telling the owner what they were going to do. I'm not picking that up. I'm not going to bring it back to you. I'll find it for you, but I'm not going to. Again, eating birds, that is something. If they're, if they're tearing birds apart, you have to fix that stuff. This stuff just gets worse. It is different things that you're going to see possibly with dogs. It's only a small percentage, but I figured it was something we could touch, touch on. If you're watching this video or listening to our episode, please let me know questions you have. We have one more episode in our gun dog training program. This is our finishing school. So I want to go through things. I will come up with some more things that you can use in your training program for issues next week in the last edition of our three-month series that we've been doing. Thank you so much for listening to this part of the show. Stay tuned again for a great interview about hunts next after this. If you love the shooting sports like I do, you need to check out our friends at Mac Outdoors. They have fantastic products, whether you're looking at shot shell or metallic reloading, or you want to get yourself a clay thrower so you can practice up for the season. For more information, check out their website at MacOutdoors.com. The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. We all know that unexpected accidents can happen. That's why I partner with Trupanion's Breeder Support Program to send all my puppy buyers home from Soggy Acres with an offer for Trupanion coverage. Learn more about Trupanion and sign up for their Breeder Support Program by visiting trupanion.com breeder. Be sure to tell them that Sporting Dog Adventure sent you. Hey, welcome back to the show. We're back with Mike. Mike is going to talk to us about not one hunt, but two that are memorable to him. So Mike, Tell me a story. Sure. Um, so the first one is uh, more humorous than anything else. We, uh, me and my good friend that are uh, hunting buddies went out and didn't see much that particular day. And as my friend is walking out and 
picking up the decoys. Um, this solo, uh, solo goose comes in and flies in. And my initial instinct is to yell at him to let him know. And his initial instinct is to yell at me to obviously shoot at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was also walking out and I'm in mud and not the most well balanced at the time because of my footing. And so I pulled up the shotgun and uh, I fired around. And because of my balance, I completely uh, landed on my butt and <laughs> sunk right into the mud. So just kind of humorous and just showed my 100% inexperience with it. And athletic ability, athletic prowess. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the second one uh, was actually just at a, uh, another public hunting spot out um, doing some duck hunting. And um, we had sat behind this little blind and we're, we're see out of the uh, left side of our eye, we see a doe come running into this water. And we weren't expecting, obviously, and hear um, some more noise in the woods behind it. It happened to be a buck. Uh, chasing them out and uh, it was just really cool because you know um, both my friend and I are big video gamers as well mm-hmm. and uh, you know for that being my first season ever of going you know any kind of hunting um, it was just really neat to be able to get out of the you know the house and be able to see that nature um, you know stuff you're never going to see in the house so it, that's really what I think got us out into hunting is obviously the bonding time and whether you get something or not, just the remarkable things you'll see and um, just get to enjoy nature for what it is and be part of it, you know. So did you guys have anyone that really mentored you or did you suppose both look at each other and say, let's try this hunting thing? So um, my hunting buddy Jones uh, was actually the one to ask me if I wanted to go. I had no family that uh, is into hunting at all. And it was just like, you know, I just wanted to go out, hang out with my buddy and bond. And um, Jones uh, it was more into deer hunting for a while. And I believe this was like a second time uh, really getting going out for waterfowl in general. So, um, yeah, that was really our, our big experiences was just going together. So, so was this COVID season duck hunting? This will be my third season. 2022 will be my third season. What so, kind of take, what kind of ducks have you taken so far? Um, we've had a, a ringneck drake, a couple of mallards, um, some buffalo heads, and some shovelers. So, hunt is not a hunt without a Hollywood duck. That's what yeah. I, I love those. I love those shovelers, man. They saved more TV shows, TV show episodes. <laughs> Because they, they, well, they decoy perfect. They come right yeah. in, they're cupped up, and they just look beautiful. And honestly, nobody knows until you get them back to the back to the uh, blind if, if what it was. It looks like a looks like a mallard. Yeah. So yeah, it was always 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 neat. We've had a lot of uh, great decoying shovelers that have that we've made famous. They're wild. They're cool looking. You know, I, before ever doing waterfall hunting, I I didn't even know. You know, there were that many types of ducks out you know everybody knows the mallard and uh never even thought about the fact that there's other species out there like that so very cool yeah i always make my kids uh before season starts they have to recite to me what the bag limits are so that they yeah. that they know and yeah. uh trying to trying to get them so they can they can pick them off on the fly when they're out of ways but mm-hmm. that's something that honestly 
picking out what the duck is, I struggled with until I was done with television and filming because of the fact that I had so much divided attention where now it's just about hunting. It's just pure. We're not have to worry about camera guys and this and that. So it's just watching that bird come in and I'm getting pretty good. I've had, uh, I've had a few that I was wrong on um, mm -hmm. when I came in, but generally speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm getting set. But if you ever hunt with someone that's great with bird ID, oh man, there'll be like something out like a quarter mile, half mile away. And they're like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a teal or yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a wood duck or that's a even, even more bizarre. They'll pick, you know, something even more obscure that you don't see in Wisconsin a lot. And they just, boom, they just mm -hmm. pick it right out. Yeah. Yep. It's quite the talent. So Mike, when we look at hunting, we look at the numbers in hunting are going down. What mm -hmm. would you say to people that are experienced hunters? How do we make it grow? You know, um, I think we just need to make it more personable. Um, the fact that, you know, for me, it was my buddy come just saying, hey, do you want to go out? And again, we had no idea what we were doing. It was just more time to hang out and, um, you know, kind of talk about what's going on in our lives. And I think, uh, you know, granted that was during COVID too. So that definitely had a part to play, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but getting out the house, it just, um, it's just good for your soul, I think, you know. And I think if you can stress that uh, positive bonding and just kind of being out in the elements is um, what people need really, you know, and, and getting that out and not being afraid to, you know, pass on information and knowledge. I think people are willing to listen to it. It's just, you know, again, making it personable and, and fun to do so. And a lot of that you will not find on social media. My goodness, yeah. I cannot believe the hate and vitriol on social media where people will ask a tip. And you know what? I get the mm -hmm. fact that you don't internet scout and there are people that do. And we literally, when I have people that hunt with me, I tell them, I'm like, you didn't hunt here? Don't tell anyone you're, where you were and no tagged photos because I've been told by people later, like, hey, man, thanks. I didn't know there were birds up there. I mean, it's pretty sad. People scroll through their the, the, the stuff on Facebook to try to figure out where people are hunting instead of going out and doing the work themselves. Yeah. But you also get where people ask about how to put out decoys or how to do this or how to do that. And it's always, why don't you read a book? Why don't you get experience? And it's yeah. like, guys, they're trying to get experience. They're yeah. trying to get some help. I mean, that's... With dog training, I know I'm kind of like a drill sergeant when I talk to clients because mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, why'd you do that? Knock it off. And I'm I'm very, very, very blunt, but still trying to educate so that someone mm -hmm. is successful in the field handling their dog. These are the things that we pass on so that we become stronger as a, as a group, as hunters. Absolutely. Mike, thank you so much for being part of our show. Thank you, everyone, for watching this episode of Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. It was a great show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Stay tuned next week. Again, listen to our show, share it with your friends, give us a thumbs up, five-star rating, whatever you can on your platform. Everyone have a great week. God bless. Sporting Dog Adventures, run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun.